Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. It's good to be back here. And uh, I don't know if that story is true. I don't, I don't remember that. That was five years ago, a number of grace. Forgot about it now, so it doesn't matter. And uh, <laughs> I'm just trying to help marriages, you know, if, if you can. But we do it when we... It's good to be back. And uh, I want to tell you, I've had the best time ever. Never thought I'd enjoy a ladies' conference like I did. I mean, genuinely, guys don't end up there. But you have amazing men that volunteered. And my wife was preaching, so I was here. And I was blessed. And, uh, and so I just want to say, ladies, you're amazing. What's happening in this church? Churches are better for healthy women. I believe that. And so I love that you're investing in women. love that we're seeing stories of ladies coming alive in Jesus. Um, and so there were many of those this weekend. And so thank you for having us. My wife has loved being here too. And hopefully I can bring some courage to your hearts today. I also love your pastors, Mark and Candice. And uh, we've known them now for about 10 years, I think maybe just over. And uh, we weren't in the best season of our lives when we actually first got to know them. That's important because I think part of our part of God doing something in our lives was because of the words that they gave us, the, the, the life that they brought to our marriage and our own uh, souls even. And so I remember sitting around their dinner table and them asking us, how are we doing? And we're like, I don't know. We're just trying to figure out what the next season holds. And to think that this seven years, eight years later, leading churches, seeing people's lives changed, uh, raising families for the name of Jesus, you're an incredible man. You have an amazing wife, more passion in this man than most people. I think passion might just change the world. I really do. And so I love this guy's passion. Uh, he's the guy, if the chips are down and you're in a sports game, you want him on your side. Because he's not going to give up until, not till the game's over, until you win. He'll add extra time. He'll do, you know, one of those things. And so I just want to say life changes. You're in a winning church. Amen? So that's exciting. Yeah, let's honor your pastors. They're incredible. He also, um, we preached at a conference together at the beginning of this year at a church called Anthem in Durban. And um, he also preached a message titled, uh, I don't even know what it's titled, but it had to do with one of David's mighty men fighting a lion in a pit on a snowy day. You've probably heard some of that here at Life Change. I'd never heard that before. I thought it was good information. It wasn't sure it was in the Bible. read it for myself. It was apparently. And, uh, and so when you're preaching messages like that, you've got to understand there was Paul the Apostle and then there's Mark Van Pletzen preaching. It was awesome. He also did a plate compactor impersonation, you know, like a plate compactor. I would ask him to do that for you. Maybe I'll bring it out tonight at the evening service. Come back if you want to check that out. So, so that'll, that'll be fun. Come double dip today. Tap your neighbor and say, maybe we should double dip. That means come to two services for you in Cape Town. <laughs> Getting on board. Any shark supporters in the house? That is amazing, buddy. How did you get them all? It's amazing. When I ask if there are any Stormers supporters in the tell, nothing. No one leaves Cape Town. <laughs> anyway, that's just something we're trying to deal with in our hearts and trust God for. So I want to uh, kind of set up the message maybe a little bit um, by giving you a little bit of an, a kind of an idea as to why the Bible is so powerful. Okay? Now, I know you know it's powerful. I know you wouldn't have come here if you didn't believe it had value for your life. Uh, perhaps you've been kind of invited by a friend. I love the invitational culture of this church, by the way. You're amazing. The stories I hear of them inviting them, who met them, who trained with them, who went to school with their kids. Okay? VPs told me so many stories. You should write a book, bro. Honestly, you should write a book. Because the life that's in this church, because you believe what God is doing in your life is worth sharing with a friend, that's what I see in this house. And, I mean, if you want church strategy, you can go online. You get strategy online. But if you want to 
see life-giving churches, you've got to go and find them on the ground. This is a life-giving church, Life Changes. You're an amazing community. You're just getting started, by the way. I know you have a few two campuses now, and there's things happening, but I believe this is just the beginning, and so I'm excited for where this goes, my man, and for the future. So just as a setup, in the Old Testament, Exodus, we hear the story of the Israelites walking through the wilderness to get to the promised land, and in that space of desert, God feeds them supernaturally with what we come to know as manna. If you've been in church for a long time, maybe you've heard the story. If you haven't, it was literally flakes that fell from the sky at night. In the morning, they would wake up. And on the dew would be like little flakes of bread almost. And they called it manna. Manna means heaven's food. All right? And so it was quite an interesting thing. God supernaturally fed his people in the dry seasons. How many of you know we can be grateful for God feeding us when we've got nothing to feed ourselves? All right? And so as a setup, I want to show you how manna became Jesus. And we still feed on him when we have nothing to offer ourselves. And so manna became heaven's food for the Israelite army. And it got to a point where they started complaining about manna. Ah, we don't want this anymore. We want better food. Surely it gets better than this. And, uh, and that's, a, that's a problem when heaven's feeding you and you're frustrated. All right? And so what we're told in Psalm 78, in fact, is that it was known as angel's food. I think it's Psalm 78. Angel's food. And, and, and that word for angel's food actually speaks of it being, modern day terms, a champion's breakfast. Who's up for a champion's breakfast? I mean, my girls, when we go on holiday, they love OTs. You know, like OTs are like, the Dad, are we going on holiday? Are we going to get our OTs this holiday? And I'm like, yeah, but I'm trying to teach them of the value of Pernutro. You know, like there's just any Pernutro lovers. And I just, I'm trying to teach them that's the champion's breakfast, you know. Uh, original Pernutro, extra milk, swirl it a bit long, you know, let it sit for a while, add some more milk, let it sit for another half an hour, add some more milk, you know the story, a bit of sugar and then drink it. That's what Pernutro is all about. But it's a champion's breakfast. And, and, and so manna, what they didn't understand when they were complaining was manna was actually a champion's breakfast. It wasn't just food, it was heaven's food. It wasn't just, ah, oh, there's something on the ground for us. It was supernatural provision from the hand of God for God's people so that they could not just hang out in the wilderness but get into their promised land. Now, the reason I'm telling you this as a setup to the message is because Jesus arrives on the scene and speaks about him being the true bread. Now, if the analogy is manna and he's telling us that's no longer the bread, I'm the true bread, I came down and I feed then we've got to understand that when we see Jesus and receive Jesus, we're not just being encouraged, which we will be. We're not just kind of getting some practical tools for wise living, which the Bible has. We're not just uh, getting inspired to dream bigger, which is what happens when the Word of God is preached. We are getting a champion's breakfast. When the Word of God is opened, not just when we read the black and white, but when we see Jesus, when we see heaven's food in the Scriptures, I want to tell you, you're feeding on a champion's breakfast. And nothing is impossible for God's children when they feed on champion's breakfast. So warm up a bit with me if you like. Tap your neighbor and say, we're about to eat some champion's food. We're about to eat some champion's food. So myself and my wife have, uh, have four children. We have three beautiful girls. And uh, recently had a little boy. He's four months old. And, uh, and he joined the clan of crazy, and, uh, and I have a wingman, and so that's exciting. Um, but our, our house is, is, is are they up there? Oh, there they are. Those are my girls. That's my little boy. Pray for me and him. And so, and so anyway, we call our house Happy Chaos. 
Because how many of your parents know it's never quite perfect, it's always chaos, but it's always happy chaos. You can have happy chaos. And so we have happy chaos in our house. But, you know, trying to manage four children and my wife, I mean, she is just um, joking. I'm the guy that's the trouble, right? But, but it's a struggle. Leading a home can be a struggle. There, there seems to be a burden for raising family. I mean, I love it. Don't get me wrong. I love my children, love my wife, love raising a family. But there are hard days. And there are emotions. And, you know, these are realities of life. And I don't know if you know this, but building a business uh, can feel like a burden sometimes. Employees. Um, you know, like, God, did I inherit that one or did I employ that one? I can't remember how they got you, you know. But there can sometimes be a struggle to the way of life, even doing friendships, even, e- even supporting the storm. It must be hard, I can imagine. It must be really... It must be really hard. And so, and so even, you know, Cape Town, this place where I come from, we have water. I mean, so I'm just, eh, is that too soon? <laughs> Jesus, bring rain, heaven's rain, with the food on top, all of it at once to Cape Town. Fill the dams overflowing. Amen. We have been praying for you, by the way. But living, life can be a struggle. But I want to tell you, serving Jesus doesn't have to be. I've come to realize that life has struggles because we bring it upon ourselves. We take on things that perhaps we shouldn't. Perhaps we, we carry more control than we need to. Uh, perhaps we want the outcome that's in our hands rather than the one that's in God's. And I want to tell you that life can sometimes feel like a struggle, but serving Jesus, I've realized, doesn't have to be. It is enjoyable. It is fun. He takes us on adventures. Yes, He sees us through the hard times, and He helps us climb the mountains so we can sing His praise from the top of the hill. I want to preach a message today titled, Stop the Struggle. Tap your neighbor and say, stop the struggle. When VP asked me to come and preach here at Life Changes, he said to me, come on, Dill, it'll be great to have you. I said, it'll be my privilege. He said, awesome, we're going to have some fun. I thought I liked that word. And then uh, we spoke a few weeks later, and he said, Dill, how are you feeling about the weekend? How's Tess feeling? We've got some ideas. What do you think? I said, that's great. He said, great, we're going to have some fun. And then I arrived here at the airport, and I got to his house, and uh, we got to his house. He gave him a hug. He said, it's good to see you. He said, we're going to have some fun this weekend. Because he gets that serving Jesus can be fun. You know, Craig Rochelle said it like this. A faith that has been tested is a faith that can be trusted. Now, this is a man whose faith has been tested. In fact, he's just given us a very honest reality of that right now this morning. But that is a faith that can be trusted because he doesn't lose hope. And the fact that this is a man that wants to have fun serving Jesus amidst the sometimes tragedy of the life we have, that's exciting. That's someone I want to walk with. And I want to tell you, friends, that's the heart of God. That's the gospel of grace. That's the Jesus that I serve. And I believe there's an invitation for us as a church. Stop the struggle. Get on the adventure. Jesus has something good for you. And so let's jump in today. I'm going to talk about David, but all you're really going to hear about is Jesus. And so 1 Chronicles 22.7 says it like this. David said to Solomon, his son, my son, I had it in my heart to build a house for the name of the Lord my God. Now, David is popular in scripture because of Psalm 23, probably, uh, but also because he was a mighty warrior, one of the greatest that ever was. He had a great track record, knew how to win. He was victorious, uh, the greatest king of Israel outside of Jesus himself. And so David was just phenomenal. But David, friends, was more than David. And often when we read the story of David, it's like, you remind me of David. And I want to say, like, no, we don't, okay? David was like Jesus. 
David is more like Jesus than like us. And so I want to show you how his life was a picture of the life Jesus had for us. And that's really important when you see what Jesus actually did for us. I want to give you the gospel from the Old Testament in the life of David to the New Testament in you and I today as best as I can. So David had in his heart to build a house for the name of the Lord my God, which means that when God says David was a man after my own heart, I think what he was referring to in many ways is the fact that David had it in his own heart to build a house. Okay, And so to be after God's heart is to be after His house. And so make no mistake, when you volunteer in the life of the local church, or when you give generously to the life of the local church, or when you participate in praise on Sundays in the life of the local church, and every other time during the week in group life, what you're doing is, in your heart, you are building His house. God likes that. God really likes that. In fact, it says God so loved the world, but we're told when it comes to the life of David that God liked David. That's pretty interesting. I mean, sacrificially, God loves the world, but just because of who David was, he liked David. He liked him. There was something about, not Mary, David, all right? And, and so there was something about David, and I believe it's because David had it in his heart to build a house for the Lord. When we get that in our hearts, that the local church is the passion of God's heart, it's the affection of his eye, it's what he loves most on earth, friends, that's you and I. When we get that in us, it's like God says, I like that church. I mean, I love the world, but I like life changes because they have it in their hearts to build a house. And so this is David's story. And this is a moment now I'm going to read when I guess David didn't make a wise call as a king. And God had brought judgment on Israel. And so David now encounters God on this thing or speaks to God in this thing so that we can turn around the judgment and bring about a blessing. I want to show you today how the burden has been lifted and the blessing remains. Stop the struggle. Verse 17 of 2 Samuel 24. Then David spoke to the Lord when he saw the angel who was striking the people because of judgment. And he said, surely I have sinned and I have done wickedly. But these sheep, what have they done? Let your hand be against me. Remember, David's a picture of Christ and against my father's house. Verse 18, and Gad, who was a prophet, came that day to David and said to him, go up and erect an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Aruna the Jebusite. And so David, according to the word of Gad, went up as the Lord commanded. And now Aruna looked and saw the king and his servants coming toward him. And so Aruna went out and he bowed before the king with his face to the ground, which is custom as to what you would do to a king that was higher than you. Only problem with the scripture is we're seeing a picture of David, but he's actually a type of Jesus. And this is a different king who came to serve. And so Aruna said, why is the Lord my God, the king, come to his servant? And David said, to buy the threshing floor from you, to build an altar, so that the plague may be withdrawn, breakthrough could happen on the people. I want to show you the progression that David has and how this translates into what Jesus has done for us. He bought the altar, or bought the threshing floor, he built the altar, and breakthrough took place. You see that? There's a rhythm to grace. There's a rhythm to the Word of God. And if we can get in the rhythm, we would experience its rewards. And I want to say, church, when we come into a place of praise and we start to sing, there's a melody that starts to get into our veins. There's something that's to, we give you the highest praise. You deserve it all. And when you arrive, you're not maybe feeling that, but as you start to sing that, you start to remind yourself, He does deserve it all because He gave it all. And so when I sing the highest praise the second time, it's a bit stronger than the first. This is what rhythm is like. When you get into the rhythm, it starts to become powerful. The rhythm is this. He bought the threshing floor. He built an altar, which is a place of worship. 
and then breakthrough took place on his people. Verse 22, stick with me, it's going to be fun today. As in the culture of life changes, let's have fun. Now Aruna said to David, let my Lord the king take up and offer whatever seems good to him. Look here, oxen for the burnt sacrifice and threshing implements and yokes of oxen for wood. All these, O king, Aruna has given to him. And Aruna said to him, may the Lord your God accept you. Verse 24, there's a turn here. Then the king said to Aruna, no, but I will surely buy it from you for a price. Nor will I offer burnt sacrifices to the Lord my God with that which costs me nothing. There is a price, friends, for the kind of praise and offering that changes lives. There's a price, friends, for the kind of sacrifice that breaks plagues on people. There is a price, and we don't have to pay it. And so David built an altar to the Lord, and he offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. And then it says, and so the Lord heeded the prayers for the land, and the plague was withdrawn from Israel. I believe God wants to remove plagues from our lives today, and I believe he wants to give us a picture of grace that will do that. Let me pray. God, I thank you that before we go any further, you lead the way. You get your word deep in our hearts, God. You get your presence to flow in places. Perhaps, God, we're protecting, we're holding back. We're not sure you want to go there, but you do. And you love being in the darkest places because your light shines so bright and darkness cannot overcome it. And so ask God, shine your light on people's hearts this morning. Set them alive in you, Jesus. Let them see the, the finished work of Christ, the victory that is ours, the price that was paid. Release your people in this place, I pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. So here's the picture. David's made a mistake. David's gone to God. God said, I want you to buy a threshing floor. The way we're going to change this thing, the way we're going to bring breakthrough is you're going to buy it. You're going to build an altar of sacrifice. That's going to take place. And then there's going to be a breakthrough. Now, on the outset, that's just a cool Old Testament story. That's interesting. But I want to help you understand what was really going on with the threshing floor, right? A little bit of Bible for you this morning that you can feed on. And so what's going on with a threshing floor, if you like, is that a threshing floor was a, a farming kind of zone, all right? And what they would do out there is they would farm wheat or they would set wheat up for its next stage, if you like. I've got a picture of a threshing floor, in fact. This is what it would look like. And it would kind of be this like big round, if you like, circular space. And what they would do is they would, they would bring the wheat, okay, as the harvest would come. And they would dump the wheat on the threshing floor. I want you to see how it's a picture of the finished work that's coming in Jesus. And they would dump the wheat on the threshing floor. And they would drag oxen with a heavy cart over the wheat. And what it would do is it would start to crack the wheat, all right? It would prepare it for the next step, which is this step. This is called a winnowing fork, okay? And what they would do is they would stick the fork in the wheat, and they would throw it up into the sky. And threshing floors were always built, or most often built, out on the hill. Why? Because the implements, uh, not the implements, the elements could blow. The, the wind could blow. And so it could serve a purpose. So as they would put the fork in the wheat, as they would pierce the wheat, as they would throw it up in the sky so the wind would blow, and what would happen is the chaff or the, the, the unnecessary components of this wheat would blow off in the wind, and what would fall would be the substance of the wheat. Let me ask you a question. What does wheat make? Bread. I have only one point for you today, by the way, and that's simply this, just bread. <laughs> and it's awesome. I thought so too. I want to write a book about it, everything. Just bread. I want to show you how, friends, we often come to God because we want a miracle. He does miracles, but what we often need is a meal. We need Him. The miracle's in the meal. 
And so what's happening in this picture in the threshing floor, which David bought, remember, because that's how the plague on God's people is going to be stopped, is there is a judgment taking place in the wheat story. It's the wheat being thrown up, the shaft being blown away, and the substance remaining, just bread. But that is a picture of what happens in you and I and the, and the story of Jesus Christ at Calvary, is that as he would come become that, that, that story for us at Calvary, which is out on a hill, he'd get pierced, he'd get beaten, he'd be pierced by the... The spear. But what would happen is the wind of the Holy Spirit would blow, and the sin that he took upon himself in that moment would be removed from Jesus as he is raised from the ground. I believe it's a picture of the threshing floor, and the shaft which is unnecessary is removed, and what remains is the substance which is just bread. Now, I'm going to kind of keep with this analogy for a bit so we can go somewhere together. The threshing floor is a place of blessing and judgment. Blessing and judgment, all right? In the wheat, the chef is judged, if you like, so that the blessing can fall. I remember when I first read this, God said to me, I lifted the burden so that only the blessing would remain. I want to show you how that's the picture of the gospel. And so that's the wheat story. But what you need to know about the threshing floor as a place of blessing and judgment is that the threshing floor is in a place called Mount Moriah. Now, Mount Moriah, for most of us who you know, haven't studied the Bible in extensive kind of ways, that's, that, which is great. I want to teach you some stuff this morning. It's going to be helpful. Mount Moriah was the same place that Abraham would take Isaac to offer him as a sacrifice to God. And God would say to Abraham, bring me your one and only son, and I want you to offer him as a sacrifice. He was, if you like, testing Abraham's faith. And, and you know the story. Abraham gets up there on Mount Moriah a few years before the David story. And on Mount Moriah, Abram would offer his son as a sacrifice. But just before he, he offers the sacrifice of his son, God says to him, Stop, Abraham, look aside. And he turns to the left, and there's a ram in the thicket. A ram is a picture of the Lamb of the world, Jesus. So the story of Abraham, often I've read it through the lens of, Will we give God our most prized possession? That's, that's, that's how we, and that's a good way to read it because I think God does call from us great sacrifice in some ways in terms of trusting him with everything. But the story of Abraham was less about Abraham giving to God Isaac and more about God providing for Abraham a ram. The power of the gospel is never what we do for God. It's always what God's done for us. That's Mount Moriah. Now David, a few years later, is buying a threshing floor. And on the threshing floor, he's going to build an altar He's going to offer a sacrifice, and it's going to bring about a breakthrough. David had it in his heart to build a house, never got to do it. David's life ended, and Solomon's life took over, his son. And Solomon built the first temple in this place called Mount Moriah. Now, there's a picture unfolding here. In the temple, what would happen is priests... That's how they believed it used to work in those days. Priests would walk into the temple, and they would offer a sacrifice. And if it was considered pleasing, God would forgive his people, which in my mind is blessing. And they would do this once a year. And by the way, it was never for the sins of the past. It was always for the year to come. And so priests would walk into the temple, Mount Moriah, Abraham, Mount Moriah, David, breakthrough, now there's a temple built there, and the same thing is happening. There is a place of blessing, and there is a place of judgment. And so priests would bring about 
the sacrifice, God would judge the sacrifice. It's crazy, I know. The Bible's got some wacko stories. Just get the principle of it. And then the blessing would flow back to God's people. All right? That's the temple. That's the rhythm. That's the David story. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it says something that really should grip us. Because if, if, if the Abram story is a picture of the threshing floor, which is a picture of the temple, which is this idea that there must be sacrifice for there to be blessing, then this should really get you. Because it says as 1 Corinthians 3.16, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Okay, so there's been a change. And I want to show you how that change is so powerful that it causes us to live without a struggle. Without the struggle of what we think we still need to do. And so I went to Israel a few years ago, and uh, it was an amazing place. And we kind of wrapped up our tour in Jerusalem. And we were in Jerusalem, and we shared communion, uh, kind of up on the hill overlooking the city. It was really beautiful. And um, while we were doing that, we were overlooking a place called the Temple Mount. It's Mount Moriah in Israel. All right. By the way, the Bible is not fictitious stories. They actually exist. It's pretty awesome when you go to Israel, like the black and white just comes in color. It's like, oh, wow, there was a place actually called the threshing floor, called Mount Moriah, where the temple was actually built. Okay? And so now we're looking over what they call the temple mount, but there's no temple. And the reason there's no temple is because two temples were destroyed. First was destroyed, the second was destroyed, and now there's nothing left. All that remains in Israel is what they call the Dome of the Rock. This is what it looks like, all right? That whole area would have been the original temple, and this little place would have been what is called the Holy of Holies, which is where the priests would offer sacrifice so that the blessing could flow. Okay, why is this all so powerful? Where is he going with this? They're like, who's this guy? Don't get him back here. I, I, honestly, I believe what's going to land now is going to be so refreshing for your soul that you may not even know what to do with it, but it will change your world. We are the temple of God. And so as we were standing watching this temple, he said to me, the guy that I was on the tour with, he said, uh, don't you think it's beautiful? I said, it's um, unbelievable. And he said, um, do you see the temple? I said, no. He said, that's because it's been destroyed. I was like, oh, yeah, I remember that now. <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that little naive past the moment. Like, forgot about the temple destruction. So he said, um, are you excited for the third one to be built? I was like, yeah, that's going to be deadly. And he looked at me with a smile on his face. He said, it's not going to be built. I was like, what? And I realized, like, part of me actually missed the truth. I, like, I missed the moment there. And he was, he was having fun with me. And he said to me, he said, here's the thing. You can't build the temple where sacrifice takes place when the ultimate sacrifice has already happened. Friends, Hebrews 10 speaks about this. You can go read it. We don't have time to go there now. But Hebrews 10 speaks about how a sacrifice has been made for us that can't be replaced by anything. Therefore, if we trust that Jesus has done it, we don't have to have any form of sacrifice. It's already been paid. Therefore, we have everything we need. All right? And so as I stood looking over this temple, as an ordinary young guy leading a church passionately, trying to see people set free by the love of God, I realized that what often we're trying to do is we're trying to bring back a place of sacrifice like there's something we need to do for God to get to us. But there's nothing we need to do for God to get to us. God did everything by Himself to get to us, all right? It's never about our work. It's all about His. And so He said the third temple won't be rebuilt because you can't replace the sacrifice that was made at Calvary. Now we have a change. Because in the early thing, I showed you how 
the wheat was thrown up, and there was judgment, and there was blessing. Just bread. That's what we need. We need bread. Then I showed you how the temple was built, and then the temple sacrifice was made, so that people could be forgiven and blessed. But now there's no more temple, and the Bible says in 1 Corinthians that we are the temple. The only difference between this temple that we have and the temple that they have is this temple doesn't have a sacrifice element in it because that was paid for by the blood of Jesus. This temple just has bread. I want to show you, friends, how what we house is the finished work and presence of Jesus. We don't house a burden to perform for Him. We house for Him this open cavity that says, fill us with the refreshing finished work of heaven that took place on Calvary. When the judgment took place, blessing came down. We just have the blessing. Oh, but, but wait, Dill. Um, that means we don't have to do anything for Jesus? No. But then what about like serving and what about giving and what about being the church? What about, what about that stuff? Oh no, but that stuff's overflow. That's, that's not, you don't have to do that. We get to do that. If, if, if that is a burden for you, I would argue you're living in old te- temple mentality where you still think there's something you're doing for God. I want to show you how serving the local house is a blessing for me. I'll do it every day of the week if I need to. I'm not saying you should. It's not about that. I'm just saying what we give to God is out of overflow of what He's given for us. Friends, the gospel is not a burden. It's a blessing. Supporting the stormers might be. Might be. You know, navigating seasons of marriage maybe. But responding to the gospel of Jesus was never meant to be. Can I say it like this, friends? At Calvary, He took the burden so that we could receive the blessing. It's powerful. It's unlike. It's scandalous. Grace is scandalous. And I want to live in blessing. And I want to house Him in this temple with passion. And I want to build churches that show people. You see, sometimes I, I chat to friends. It was interesting. Um, just recently, I was chatting to a friend, and he said um, he's really struggling with one of his closest friends. I'm talking about an older man in my life that's a mentor or a friend to me in business. And he said he's really struggling with one of his family friends. I said, why is that? He said, because uh, their son, who's 18 years old, has loved Jesus his whole life, been part of church, loved Jesus, uh, just wants to be on the Jesus story. And uh, he's been kind of uh, led down this road with a young girl who's of the Muslim faith. And, and, and he's really passionate about her. And, and his faith in, in God has, has kind of, has kind of dr- drained down a little bit. And, he's, and, and the parents are wearing that. Now, parents, I want to tell you, just this story is going to encourage your soul. Don't give up praying for your children. But also just realize that you're not playing, praying for a victory. You're praying from a victory, okay? And so he said to me, he said, this young son has walked away from the faith. And the family's taking strain because they can't believe they've lost their son to another religion. I said to him, but what did you say? And he said, well, I encouraged them. I said, keep praying for them because the game's not over. I said, that's cool. I just don't think that's true. He said, what do you mean? I said, the game is over. It's just in the son's favor. Because this son doesn't need to do anything else if he's chosen to believe in Jesus to know that Jesus has already got him written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. I don't believe that there is any performance needed in this young man's life again to verify the fact that Jesus can win. He doesn't need that. Jesus wins. 
I tell you, you go back to your friend, let them know he's going to be all right. Because we don't fight for victory in the church. We fight from victory. And it's really powerful when I started to realize how, yes, I will struggle. There will be moments. Last year, we had a really interesting year. My, my daughter um, went in for a routine. She was two and a half years old, went in for a routine uh, operation and had a gland in her neck here. It was nothing serious. And we went in and we had the gland taken out, a little morning operation. Our doctor was known to be the best doctor for this in the country. And we went home that afternoon, like chuffed, it's all over. That gland, which might have been a problem later on in life, is gone. Went to sleep that night, woke up at 1 o'clock in the morning with a raging fever. She had secondary infection. We raced her back to hospital. I won't bore you with all the details, but we ended up spending another two weeks in hospital in ICU. It was very scary because at one stage we didn't know what was going to happen. And I remember being in hospital thinking like, and we launched our building expansion the same weekend that I took her back to hospital. can often be like that can often feel like, why is this going down when I'm just coming alive? Don't let the devil get into this space, friends. That burden's not for you to carry. It's for Jesus to carry. The blessing is what was left for us. And I remember sitting in hospital watching my daughter. She had blown up like a balloon, two and a half years old. It was horrible. And she had the second infection. What it was doing was eating her skin. And so... And every, it was just a comedy of errors that put a central line into her, her, her artery here and... Um, and it hadn't worked, and so it had blown up like a balloon. And I walked back into the room after being at church for the morning. And my wife was in the room, and we kind of walked in together, and we noticed our daughter. And, and my wife just started screaming because it looked like everything was going wrong. Machines were going crazy. And we called, the doctors came, and they settled it down. And you know how this goes. Some of you have been through this. It's not amazing. And I remember that afternoon, stepping down, they calmed her down. She's fine now. I want to tell you there's good news to the story. Not every story ends like that. Ours did. And we stepped outside of the cubicle, and I was standing next to this doctor that was of a different faith. And he looked at me, and I could see he was losing his confidence. The best hands in South Africa. Because that's what happens when we take it in our hands. He was losing confidence. He was staring at her from a distance. He didn't know what to do. He had phoned a friend who was a physician, asked him to come be a second voice on her case. I realized things were bad. And we were standing outside the room. My daughter had calmed down. She's asleep now. And I was standing next to this man, and I could see he was panicking. And I said, Doc, what's the prognosis? And he said, we'll take this one step at a time. And I looked back at him, and I said, Doc, he said, yes. I said, I just want to tell you, my daughter is in the safest hands possible. And he looked across at me, and he said, thank you. I said, I'm not talking about your hands. I said to him, you know, when you serve Jesus, I've come to realize Life can be a struggle, but serving Him doesn't have to be. And I don't need to make my relationship with God difficult just because I'm going through what I didn't plan right now. Jesus has always been kind. He's always been faithful. He's always had love for me when I needed. He's always been the meal before the miracle. He's always had everything that's been on offer. I stood next to the doctor. I said, just to let you know, she's in safe hands. He smiled at me after I had given him that joke. And he said, thank you, sir. I said, that's great. And she turned around that moment. Friends. Jesus lifted the burden so that the blessing could flow. Some of us are carrying unnecessary burdens that we have no control over. And there is a blockage to the blessing that heaven wants to release. And there's nothing you need to do for God to flow. But to remove your eyes from what you carry to what He carried for you at Calvary. I want to tell you, faith is not primarily activity. 
Faith begins with access to what's already there. We fight from victory. And from the access we gain to the Jesus that we know, we start to activate things in our lives that are radical. A little thought as I close this morning. This is the gospel of grace, the gospel of Jesus, if you like. A price was paid. A sacrifice was made. Judgment took place so that life-giving bread would remain. We live in a church today, friends, that no longer has to offer sacrifice. Priests were going every year because the sacrifice wasn't enough, but Jesus was. And we sit in the story of the gospel of Jesus where the bread that remained was enough for everything that we need. And it's here this morning. He's here this morning by His presence. Now that little place called the Dome of the Rock, I don't know if you know this, but it's the most contested for piece of real estate in the world. Jews stand at the Wailing Wall. Devout Jews stand at the Wailing Wall crying for Jesus to come. They don't believe He's been yet. And they stand crying just below the Wailing Wall. You can't see it in that picture. But they stand crying, please come, please build the temple. But He's not going to build a place of sacrifice. He was the sacrifice. And they contend for this land, and it's protected, and there's army. If you get up to the Dome of the Rock, which not everyone gets to do, but as we walked, we walked, there were about five layers of machine guns behind us. Because if one guy moves, the other guy shoots. If they shoot, they get shot. It's like, goodness, please, no one move. Because it's the most contended for contentious piece of real estate in the world, and it's this small, and it's Mount Moriah, and it's the place of blessing and judgment. And I realized something. They're contending for land. The most contended for piece of real estate. And I realized that it's not Mount Moriah anymore. It's changed. It's not Mount Moriah. It's not the Temple Mount. It's our hearts. Because 1 Corinthians 3 tells me that we are the temple of God. You don't need to protect any land in Israel. We'll let that be the story. It's amazing to see what's going on there. But the real fight's here. And may we never be the people that bring a need for us to sacrifice something to access the blessing that's already on offer. Just hold your heart here for a second. It's protected real estate. Jesus paid a price for this. We get to have this building. It's beautiful and friendships are amazing. We got one too. Other churches are doing great. Society is, there's business represented in this room. There's amazing blessing in this. But here's the real estate. And if anything gets in the way of this receiving what heaven has, let us never, ever, ever put an unnecessary burden on our hearts, which has only been built to receive heaven's blessing. You were born to be blessed. Stand with me. Worship team, you can come. Tonight I'm going to be speaking around focusing the fight, and obviously there's no expectation to be back, but kind of an extension of this. I've realized that also, you know, the devil can't take our destiny. He can only distract us. So sometimes we think we've lost everything, but it's just a distraction. And uh, this is the place where we protect the gold. The gold. In Ephesians 1, I want to read it to you. It says this in verse 3 of Ephesians 1, Praise be to God. 
Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. Not who is going to, not who is thinking about it. The sacrifice was made. The burden was lifted so that the blessing could flow. Who has blessed us in heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. By the way, friends, your business is spiritual and you have every blessing you need. Your family is spiritual and you have everything you need. Your relationships are spiritual and you have every blessing you need in Christ. For He chose us in Him. We respond, but He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight, not ours. And sometimes we rank each other based on our holy performance, but that's not what this says. We have every spiritual blessing in Him because of how He sees us in Christ. Why? Because Christ paid a sacrifice that the burden could be lifted so only the blessing could flow. You are blessed. You are strengthened. You are born for great things, life changes. You have everything you need, men to lead your business, women to lead your business, women to raise your children, men to be the husband, women to be the wife. You have everything you need in Christ Jesus. Let the burden never block the blessing that was meant to flow. Why don't you close your eyes and bow your head? I want to pray for us for just a moment. Jesus, we thank you so much that you carried a burden that you never meant to that you weren't meant to carry so that we could receive a blessing that we didn't deserve grace is so powerful God and it cuts through the shadows of our past and it cuts through the inadequacies of the moment and it cuts through the decisions that have failed you and it says it's okay I'll carry that burden so that you could receive my blessing God, I thank you that where marriages in this room feel the burden of inadequacy, decisions made that have left brokenness in the home, I thank you, God, you'd lift that now in Jesus' name and let your blessing flow. Let your healing flow. Let your restoration flow. Let your forgiveness flow. I thank you, God, that where businesses have failed, men feel like failures, women feel like failures, feel like I made a bad call. I know I shouldn't have, but I did it anyway. I thank you, God, that that burden even got put on Calvary. You have what it takes, young man. You have what it takes, young woman. For every spiritual blessing has been given to you in Christ. So receive it now. Just receive heaven's grace now in this moment. Just receive the blessing. Receive the promise. Make space in your heart for the blessing to flow. Thank you, Jesus. greatest thing that ever happened to us, Jesus. You open access to heaven's treasure. Your sons and daughters, we receive that now. Just receive it. You don't deserve it, but he gives it anyway. Thank you, Jesus. You're so good, Jesus. You're so good, Jesus. standing in this room and you say, Dill, I agree with the sacrifice of Christ, but there is one time that the Bible tells us to be a sacrifice. It's in Romans 12. What about that line where it says, present your bodies as living sacrifices? How can you say it's been taken when it tells us to be that? I went and read about that this morning so I could bring you some truth that'll set you free. That word sacrifice is a word blow hard or breathe hard. Or to blow smoke 
That's what that word sacrifice means. And so when it says present your bodies as living sacrifice, it's not talking about performance, it's talking about praise. It's a reminder yet again that there's nothing we can do for God. But as the Hebrews say, the best thing we can do with the breath He's given us is give it back to Him. That's praise.